Welcome to the World of Speakers podcast brought to you by Speaker Hub. In this special series, we interview speaking experts on how to navigate the coronavirus as a professional speaker. Here's your host, Ryan Foland. Ahoy, everyone. I am fresh off a boat in my first Zoom after having been offline for two weeks here with my new friend, Todd Palmer. His company is Extraordinary Advisors. If I were to say three things from my cyber stalking, I'm going to say that he's a speaker, he's an author, and he's a business coach. Am I correct there? That is totally correct. I like to start with stories as opposed to reading your acclaimed bio, because anybody who wants to find out about you, they're going to do their own cyber stalking and they're going to find out all that. But you probably have a story that maybe you shared, maybe you haven't. Can you pick a single moment in your past? And can you tell me a story around that such that if that was the only story I had, I could basically say, oh my gosh, you got to meet this guy, Todd. And like, who's Todd? I'm like, this one time and then fill in the blank. And then, you know, then we'll kind of go from there. So tell me about a story in time. So I would say if I could pick one day in my business career, it would be September 9th, 2006. Hopefully that's specific enough for you. Oh, that's great. Yeah. What time? (laughs) <laughs> Just kidding. No, it would have been about 9.30 in the morning. Okay. And I had uh, been working with my newly hired coach for about 36 hours. I brought the coach on because I was $600,000 in debt. I was two months away from running out of all of my money. The week prior, I had a conversation with my then 11-year-old son about how our, we may lose our house. We may become homeless. I was a single dad. And on that day, I walked in with his help recognized the cuts I needed to make in my revenue to improve my margins and my revenue and realized that I had a toxic and dysfunctional culture within the organization as a leader, I had allowed it to occur. So between 9.30 and 10.30 on September 9th, 2006, I fired my entire company and I started over. And that was the crossroads moment for my business as a CEO. From there, we pivoted multiple times, grew our business, made the Inc. 5000 six times as one of the fastest growing companies in America. I paid off all of that debt. I think I'm here today to talk to you a little bit how my, that messiest of my days has now become my message as a coach and speaker. Yeah, well, you know what? The best message comes from some sort of a mess. And it's when you have the courage to share that, that people can be inspired and see themselves in your story, as opposed to your story. So just as a quick relational term, I've had a few of those moments. And I think that Whether we want to admit it or not, those are the things that either make us or break us. And as a profession that you can leverage what has gone wrong to help other people get things right, I think speaking is a powerful medium to do so. And I'm excited to have you share some of your insights on the speaking business. And I'm sure some of the throwing everyone off the ship and then burning your own ship and then building your own ship is maybe a metaphor for your life. It's very much become a metaphor for my life. It's become a metaphor for my coaching business. You know, and I literally told myself I had lost six stages within two weeks. And I'm thinking, well, why am I doing all this? And I was so fortunate after I fired my entire company, I started going to these entrepreneurial enclaves. And I'm at MIT when you're through this program called The Gathering of Titans. And I'm sitting there and some guy named Simon Sinek walks out and he's got his marker and he's got his notepad or his big sticky pad. He'd never spoken to an entrepreneur's group before. And he went through and changed my life. I worked with him for two years to find out two words. And those two words are improved lives. 
So everything I do, whether it's speaking, whether it's coaching, whether it's as a CEO, it's all about improving the lives of someone else. And if I improve your life, Ryan, I am, my life, Todd, becomes just more enhanced and a much more enjoyable experience. So I'll go through the times in COVID and we were able to pivot the, the stages we lost into virtual platforms. And those virtual platforms, I've spoke from my baseball room here in Detroit, Michigan, across the globe. Sometimes I had to get up at midnight. Sometimes I was up till midnight to be able to reach out to entrepreneurs who were stressed, entrepreneurs who were stuck, entrepreneurs who were paralyzed by fear and self-doubt, entrepreneurs who had their itty-bitty shitty committee and their, how they didn't see COVID coming, how they didn't know how to do this. How could they allow that to happen? And I was able to relate it all back to September 9th in 2006, how my itty-bitty shitty committee and my imposter syndrome was flaring so much that I couldn't go in and work with my company. I couldn't go in and deal with the toxic employees I have allowed as leader to occur. So I think to your point, the value of storytelling and the value of being authentic, vulnerable, transparent, ATV, in front of an audience or on a podcast like this, where people can look behind the curtain and see that, wow, other people have had tough days. Other people have gone through those tough times. They've been there, done that, survived that, especially in these current times, it is a message that I don't think people can hear enough of. I want to take you back in time before September 9th, 2006, because afterwards we found the two words that really created that the aha moment, which is impact people. Before that moment, what were the two words that were ruling your life? Oh gosh. Before that, it was how big can I make my company? How can I get to a $20 million company? That was the target I had in my mind. It was all about the revenue. And what I didn't realize that $20 million of revenue with 1% margins is really pretty unimpressive. And we got into debt partially of the 600000 because we had two clients that went bankrupt on us. And we'd extended improper terms. I wasn't focused on the margin. I wasn't focused on the days outstanding. I was just focused on sell, 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 revenue, revenue, revenue. And I really realized that it that revenue doesn't matter nearly as much as the margin. So I went from a revenue model to a margin model literally overnight. Okay. I want to go back to putting you on the spot for these two words. From improve lives, the prior two words, would it be improve profit, improve margins, improve revenue, improve sales, or improve insert something else? You know, I think for me, it was grow revenue improve the revenue of the organization at all costs. And it was kind of a damn the torpedoes mindset. And when you're competing in the staffing space at the time where we were in, we're competing against Kelly Services and Manpower and Adeco and these large, large, large publicly held companies. And while everybody loves the story of David versus Goliath, there's only one story I know of. It's David and Goliath. Usually it's if you go up against a big competitor with buckets of cash, it's really hard to compete against them unless you find a different way to do it. And trying to be all things to all people at all times, which is what we were trying to do in the staffing space, was not working. So when we figured out that we have to, just like as a speaker, what is your niche? What do you speak about better than anyone else? Well, as a recruiting company, we had to figure out what type of candidate do we deliver better than anyone else? And I totally had to shift my mindset around that because I realized, like in a lot of organizations, the bottleneck was at the top and I was the bottleneck. I had to get out of my own way with the help of my coach to figure that out. This is awesome. You literally went from improving revenue to improving lives. Correct. Now I want to go a step back because we're here on the World of Speakers podcast brought to you by Speaker Hub, by the way, which is an awesome platform to house all of your speaking accolades. But as a kid, did you ever think you would grow up to be a speaker per se? Or was this more of a, I'm going to become a successful business person 
and then did the speaking just up here? And we're going to get into your tips on speaking and the business of speaking, but I just want to get to know you more because you seem like this profit-driven guy who turned into a people-driven guy, but where did the profit driving come from? Was it an influence? Was it just the way that you were raised? How did that start? I think a lot of it came from the perspective of I was very much single-minded, solo-focused. A lot of it did come from my childhood. I was, unfortunately, I lost my father at a very young age. I was five years old when my dad passed away. And within 90 days, my older brother went away to university. My older sister moved away to Arizona to get married. And my mother, who was my primary caregiver, went to work. So everybody around me that I depended upon to as my caregivers were all gone. And so as a child, what I told myself is the only person I can depend on is myself. And with that solopreneur mindset, I think it pivoted in the sports I played. I played baseball. It's, it's pitcher against hitter. Then you know, once that occurs, then the team gets into play. And it's a sport predicated on failure. You fail seven out of 10 times, you're hitting 300 and you get $20 million year contract. As I've gone through life, I, that being a solo thinker, being a rugged individualist served me well for a long time until it didn't. As I try to grow and scale a company, instead of just building myself a job and building a business, I ran into roadblocks. I ran into stumbling blocks. I couldn't be the oracle anymore. I couldn't be the smartest kid in the room. I was hiring other smart people. And then when I hired my coach, he was very clear that you can't do this by yourself. So what had worked well for me for a long time, doing it by myself, wasn't transferable into the corporate world. When I decided I really wanted to get become a speaker, it was off of the invitation of others to come and speak on my experiences. And for a long time, I really worried about saying it right, saying it perfectly, getting everything down succinctly. Another speaker pulling me aside, he goes, I really like your content, but your deliveries, let's just say not as good as it could be, because I think you're all wrapped up in your head. Well, that was a very safe place for me to be. When I went on stage and I spoke from my heart, and I was ATV, authentic, transparent, and vulnerable, and I spoke of the essence of what I wanted to communicate, then magical things happened. I remember I gave a speech about 14 months ago. I did five-minute opening for the keynote as a favor to him because he was an important friend of mine. I said, hey, I'm happy to do this for you. And I went out and I just told the story about the impact. This gentleman, his name is Dr. Daniel Friedland. He's out of uh, San Diego, California. And he changed, he's literally changed my life. And I told a story about how he helped change my life. And I looked down in front of me and there was a room of just CEOs. And there's three CEOs who are talking because the person between them was in tears based upon my five minute story. That was my boom light bulb moment from stage where I know that by telling stories, speaking from essence, being real and vulnerable, it resonates a whole lot more with your audience by opening myself up to the, allow them in versus I've got to get it right. I've got to get it perfect. It's got to be staccato. It's got to be lots of facts, lots of data, lots of figures. When I speak from the heart, it just went to the point where this person's life was transformed. And she pulls me aside afterwards and, and just said, that's the most powerful thing I've ever heard. How can I potentially work with you? And she, then she became a coach or a coaching client. Awesome story. Now, in all transparency, I'm not a baseball fan. I'm not going to pretend that I am. I played hockey growing up. But there's a lot of elements of that story that I resonate with. And what's inspiring for our listeners is that you don't have to grow up thinking you're going to become a speaker. You can actually grow up as somebody who thinks that they're their own island. You can become a successful business person who then becomes on the brink of unsuccess, just turning your ship from profit to people, and then having the ability within a matter of minutes to impact people to their core. So I, I think I've gotten to know you just based on that September 9th element. And I think you started to tease out some of what makes your speaking unique which is this authentic and transparent and vulnerable. 
the book that I wrote is called Ditch the Act. It's all about that. I think that people find value in how they see themselves in your stories. And for a long time, I was like, yeah, I'm awesome. I'm awesome. And people were like, well, no. And I was like, <laughs> okay, I'm really not that awesome. This is where I'm having a hard time with. And they're like, okay, cool. I get it. So I want to transition. Let's get down and dirty about how you personally see translating from the heart, from the stage. And I know we have some common friends like Josh Linkner, part of the Three Ring Circus. There's just so much great information. And this coach that you mentioned helped you realize you can do it by yourself. And I always am one to say, I can't do it by myself. So what are some of the things, if you were the uh, proverbial coach here now for the next few minutes of everyone listening in the world, across the world, no pressure, what are some of the things that you would tell them to shorten their path to being able to uh, impact people? Especially for speakers, I think a couple of things really come to mind. It's be authentic, speak from the heart. And what I found is that you can be as great a speaker as someone like a Josh Linkner. People are, no matter how good you are, whether you're Josh Linkner, you're David Rendo, you're Brene Brown, whomever you are on stage, they're only going to have two or three takeaways. They can have pages of note, but there's going to be a couple of things. You know, I think of David Rendell, who's become a friend of mine. I always think his tagline is what's weird makes you wonderful. Focus on your strengths, minimize your weaknesses. Really simple message. It's important to remember also that I am the steward of my own stories, but I am here at the request and as a servant to my audience. It's not about me standing from stage and talking about how smart I think I am or how wonderful I think I am. It's me coming to be a servant leader to my audience. I always find inspiration in some of the weirdest places. I spend a lot of time watching documentaries about musicians and about filmmakers and actors and how they talk about our audience resonates with us and connects with us on a much deeper level when we put it all out there. And whether you're Dave Grohl, the Foo Fighters, or Al Pacino as an actor, if you show up and you give your very best, you come in prepared, but not uh, stale. It's so important. So for me, I just remember every time I got the blessing to speak from stage, that one, it's not work. For me, it's not work. It takes work to get there. But if I do the proper prep, just like preparing for sports, proper practice equals proper performance. But it really does come down to people remember how you make them feel. And we can make them feel amazing emotions if we speak to them. And we can speak to them from a, a clinical perspective or a researcher perspective. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's value in that. That's called being a professor. I did that. I used to teach college and I really enjoyed that. I can teach it, but I get juiced and I get jazzed when I'm in front of an audience and there's those light bulb moments. There's an aha moment where something I tell them in a story lands and resonates with them. I remember I was telling the $600,000 in debt story. A woman comes up to me afterwards. She says, I just had to meet you. You're six times more screwed up than I am. I'm only $100,000 in debt. Can you tell me more on how you did that? And it's, I just had to laugh because that's what she remembered. That's what landed with her. It touched her in some way. And I followed up with her you know, just recently, and she's out of debt. She just bought her dream home in Northern Michigan. She retired once we talked about some different things she could do. And I put her in touch with some financial people. But what landed for her was, like you said, people want to see themselves in our stories. The reality is, when I talk about my journey as a CEO, that was my hero's journey. I took that journey. When I talk from stage, I share my story, but I also add in other stories to complete the picture so I can be the guide to someone else's hero's journey from stage. Whether it's, you know, I'm telling Ryan a story and brings back the Mr. Miyagi's of your life or something else. It's if I can tell the story in such a sincere and authentic way, 
that it lands with somebody and it impacts them or I share a story. And I have no problem saying the woman saying like, oh my gosh, you're six times worse off than I was because I'm only 100K in debt. That's fine. Listen, part of being a speaker is I think we have to open ourselves up to, to being real with the audience. People can pick up a phony. I love watching bands play live music because I can tell when they're really excited about something and when they're, when they're playing their, one of their greatest hits and going through the motion. It's the greatest bands who can still get excited that I'm excited hearing their greatest hits. And that exchange of energy from stage is so powerful. So again, we are of service to our audience and we only exist to serve them, not to serve our own egos. That was a great brain dump. And what I got from it was one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight main topics that we could dive into. So here's a little game we're going to play, but just making it up. I'm going to tell you all eight of these pieces of advice that I pulled from you. And you are going to choose just three to wax on and wax off. Perfect. Okay, Daniel, son, let's go. <laughs> Number one thing I heard was be authentic. But again, this is very general. So you're going to choose three that you want to actually dive in a little bit deeper and then give us some sort of Mr. Miyagi training to apply because gathering information. Do you know Vin Gang? I do. He's Australian. He's awesome. He's the, I actually saw him a couple of years ago in California after seeing him speak. And he's my favorite uh, speaker magician ever. There is no nail and a uh, lovely guy. And I had him on the podcast. But one of the things that stuck with me is he says, gaining new information is satisfaction, but applying that information is actual fulfillment. So people are going to feel satisfied by getting these eight tips, which I'm going to do, but we want them to be fulfilled and we're going to dig into three. So the number one choice that you have is be authentic. The number two is speak from the heart. Number three is less is more. Number four is serve your audience or be a servant speaker. Number five would be put it all out there, which is different than authenticity or from the heart. The question is how much do you give? Then proper planning. Number seven was this idea of like, you have an impact by affecting people. And then the eighth one, which I got at the very end was that there has to be excitement. Mm -hmm. So each one of those on their own, we could speak for a long time, but I'd rather speak on three of them with a little bit of in-depth. So which ones do you want to choose? It's like a game show. Sure. You know, I think it's important to start with the end in mind. So for me, I always start with how can I best serve my audience? Okay. So serving the audience is going to be number one. What's number two? I would say put it all out there. Okay, put it all out there as number two. And what's your final one? For me, it's always about the effect on other people. All right, so using the rule of three, we now have gone from eight to three. And so I'm gonna challenge you for each of these to come up with three really core nuggets that you personally have experienced or something that somebody can listen to and be like, okay, I'm gonna try that. So when it comes to serving from the stage, what are three examples or things that we can do or actual things we can try to mirror or train, wax on, wax off. So the first thing would be get with the event planner, know your audience. Why are you here? What do they want to know? That's what I find works really well. Get with the event planner, know what you're there to talk about and know who's in the audience from at least a, like I'm doing a speech next month in Indianapolis. And it's a bunch of sales professionals who've achieved at the top of their game. And they're kind of asking now what? Okay. Where do I go from here? So I'm, I'm going to build my content around that theme. But I want to know, like, what question, because I've heard this piece of advice a lot, right? Get with the planners and organize, but what questions do you ask? Yeah, my style is like, I get on a phone or a Zoom call with them, and I ask them, what's the theme of the event? 
what do your members want to take away? What takeaway, you know, give me three nuggets they want to take away. And if they don't have those nuggets, I say, then here's a survey, send it out to them and get back to me. And then the final thing I do is what can I do as the speaker to be easy to work with, deliver the most value. So you as the event planner look like a rock star because the hidden nugget of that is if I do that, they're going to hire me again. My audience really is the event planner who's the conduit for the audience I'm in front of. Right. One thing that I learned from Josh as well is the fact that event planners, and I love you all, but it's really your job on the line because if they hire you and you do okay, it's fine. If you do awesome, it's fine. If you just knock it out of the park, home run, like it's okay. But if you suck, oh yeah, <laughs> they potentially get fired. So there's a nice relationship. Okay. So number one is contacting them to find out not only what the audience wants, but how you can best make them as an event planner look like a rock star. What's the second level tick mark under serving from the stage? When it comes to serving from the stage, my job is to read the room, read the energy. So for example, to your the last point of excitement. And can we talk about the Zoom room as well? Oh yeah, for sure. So what I figured out for Zoom is I, unless I have to, I don't use slides because I need to read your energy in the room. I need to see everybody on my screen as best as I possibly can. I did something for a group in Malaysia of all places. They're all on there. And I'm this probably this hyper crazy American bouncing off the screen and I'm watching their reactions to me. And at the more people were laughing or the more they were getting up in there, the bigger I got. So I adjusted my persona to fit the room within a you know, very degree of five or 10%. Cause I can, I just had this ability, it's just natural God-given luck that I can adjust my energy to fit the room. So if it's a very somber room, I can come down. If the room needs energy, then I can bring my energy up and I do a lot through physicality. Yeah, no, that's great. One thing I talk about is I call it the rising tide. Granted, I go back to the boat analogy, but I find that you're the tide where all the boats are going to float to your level. But the nuance is that if you match their level, they're still going to be below. And so I think that you need to be like 30 to 35% above the energy level that they need to be because it sort of rises those tides up. So I like that. The other thing, and this is a very nuanced question, on your Zoom, if you have more than 100 people on, you have these different sections, right? So you can scroll through the grid format that you're seeing. Do you just focus as a random sampling on the one group or are you actually clicking through to see multiple patches of people? I've done it both ways and I cheat. I absolutely have no problem saying I cheat. So I have literally have my screen. I have my big area behind me. All my talking points are up there. So I'm looking at the screen. I can keep going in case someone distracts me because they're prone to do that. But what I would say I really cheat is if I see somebody who's checking out and not engaged, I'll just go in and say, hey, oh, Brian Fullen, I see you have some questions. And like, it catches the guy off guard. And then he's like, no, I'm good. I'm like, yeah, everybody. So we just keep it going because I do a lot of not just speaking from a speech standpoint, but I do a lot of meeting facilitation, leadership facilitation. So my job is to make sure they keep engaged. So if I've got somebody checking out, I want to bring them in. And a kind of a trick I've learned is I start off every time I speak online, I always ask one to two questions and I have everybody fill in the chat feature before I even get started because then they've got to pay attention. Right. Psychologically, we're more engaged. So I think so much of what we do, and I think Vin talks a lot about that, it's so much like the Jedi mind trick of getting them involved, bring them into the room, bring them where you want them to go. Because at the end of the day, I know what I'm going to talk about. They don't know what I'm going to talk about. And if I see someone, like you're smiling right now, I would call, so Ryan, that seemed to land with you. Can you tell the audience more about why that landed with you? It's not a matter of if you want to talk or not, because I really do not care. I want you to get engaged. And I want everybody to kind of like, oh, he's going to call me next. Kind of a little bit of that. And because of my audience, 
I don't worry about bothering or offending someone because someone may be listening like, well, you're going to call somebody and they're going to get really irritated. My rooms are typically entrepreneurs and CEOs are my sweet spot. When I talk about my first book, sometimes I talk to high school kids or college kids. They know why I'm there. And anybody who researches me is going to know that it's going to be an energetic experience. And I want to be respected. I want to add value. I'm not particularly concerned all the time about initially being liked if there's a little bit of like, wake them up, get them going kind of thing. Because I always circle back to the person I'd probably have shocked the most. And I always close and give them something. So then they like me. Right. Okay. So the three subcategories under being a servant leader from stage, whether it's virtual or not, is making sure you're on the same page with the event planner that's going to make them look good, getting the nuggets that they need, or sending the survey to some extent. Number two is watching the grid and actually a no slides concept, watching the grid. And number three, not being afraid to throw people under the love bus. Well, and it's to their benefit. And so far, it's gone pretty well. So I always do a post-survey feedback. So again, kind of close loop maybe on the, how to serve the audience. I always do a survey. And in that survey, I want to know if I suck, where do I suck? I only know for my style, I'm only going to grow as a speaker. I'm only going to grow as a CEO. And I'm only going to grow as a leader if I get honest feedback. My job is to create that platform so they can give me honest feedback. So I ask them what worked and what didn't. What did they like? What could I have done better? And I also ask the audience a lot of times, how did you show up? Because we're in this together. It's like uh, Fast Times at Ridgemont High, Spicoli. This isn't just my time. It's our time, Mr. Hand. And I do that with them. And they're like, well, I was checking my email. Oh, you were. I had no idea, shock. But it's our time so that they understand this really is done correctly. It can be still as much of a con- human connecting shared experience as possible. And so I want to know. So the, the thing I always get a lot of positive feedback on is my energy. The downside of my energy is my energy will sometimes get me to speak quickly, especially with foreign audiences that can't always follow me. So I've learned, based upon that feedback, I'm speaking in Mexico in November, virtually, and they said, we're going to get you an interpreter for our Spanish-speaking audience members. So perfect. I want to meet the interpreter. I have to talk to them first, and I will, I'm going to speak really quickly when I talk to them, and they really have to be able to keep up with me, because when I get excited to get the belt, she's like, oh my gosh, I've got the perfect guy for you. <laughs> Okay, so that's great. Now, to close this out, I just very quick questions on your survey. What platform do you use? Do you use like a Google form or do you use a survey monkey just from a platform technically so somebody can understand? And then how many questions do you have? Because I struggle with this myself. Like you want to get more information, but you know the more questions is inversely proportional to the fact that people will or won't fill it out. So what platform and how many questions on average do you do? Mine is all set up in Google Docs. And I give it to the event planner ahead of time as part of my contract that they're going to execute this on my behalf. Okay. And I keep it at five questions. And on that five questions, typically it's a scale of one to 10. Anything below a seven, it triggers, tell me more about it. And the thing of it is, I tell the audience in the speech that I'm going to ask you. And I say, I hope you've all gotten value from our conversation or our time to get. I've seen light bulb moments from Ryan and from Sue and from John. I want to have my own light bulb moments. It would be really helpful to me. And what I'd like for all of you to do is take a few minutes to fill out the survey. And for those areas where I can improve, I can only improve if I know they exist. And I give the audience that permission to be honest because I, as a recruiter, going back to when I was a recruiter, people hate to give bad news. Right. People don't like to tell you, you got spinach in your teeth and your baby's ugly. Well, my baby with the spinach in his teeth needs to know that we need a little buffing and polish on it. <laughs> I only grow if I know. And I challenge because they want to help. I believe they want to help. They want to give back and they want to make it a great experience for everybody. And when I speak fast, I know what's coming. 
not every singer is going to sound like Mariah Carey, but a lot of singers who don't sound like Mariah Carey do just fine. So it's not a matter of if I speak too quickly, I'm going to lose my audience. I just need to be aware of it. And if I can slow down in the moments, especially, you know, this probably better than most, when I want to make a point and I use my voice as a tool and as an instrument, then that's on me as the speaker. So I've got to pick and choose that as well. And sometimes speed and cadence can also connect with an audience or not. Yeah. So we just crushed that section. Now, number two is going to be putting it all out there. Give me kind of a fire bullet point list of how to determine how much to put out there. Do you put this out there in the beginning to sort of shock and awe them? Is this the end, the final reveal? And then maybe just another a warning about putting too much out there. So I've done it both ways, where I've led with a shocking moment or I've closed with a shocking moment. Depends on what the audience is. For me, I found that I can't ask my audience to be authentic, transparent, and vulnerable with me unless I model it first. The, at least currently the way I'm doing it is I'm telling the 2006 story first. It's kind of like, and I say my message has become my message. And so what I'm here today to talk to you about is don't focus too much on revenue. If you have an itty bitty shitty community in your head, let's talk about how we can silence that. Da, 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 da. Whatever the, the keynote spins off of it, all spins off of that same story. And what I've learned was the reaction from audience is never the same. Sometimes people just go like the look of shock and awe. I'm sure there are people, my buddies have said this, like, oh my God, what an idiot. What an awful thing to say. But what I realized that it's my stories. These are my stories. They are my truth. I've got clients, for example, that are in their CEOs who are in recovery in 12-step programs. And they always talk about when they were at their worst, it's when they were lying to themselves the most. So they always talk about being honest and upfront in their, their groups. So I took a lot of value and I was like, you know what? This is my story. It really did happen. And the only way that I found that people will share their authentic self is when I'm authentic first. So going back to number one, to be a best service to my audience, I have to show up. I have to be real. The story I first tell is my story, not someone else's story. And the great thing about it is it's my story and I've grown from it and people have received value from it, which ties back to, I want to improve lives. Yeah, I like that. One of the things in Ditch the Act that I talk about is that we have this fear that people will judge us based on the stories that don't go right. And an exercise that I do with people and my clients is what's called an exposure resume. So your resume, being in hiring and staffing, you know it's all about the resume, right? These are all the things you want people to know. But if you flip that exercise and you really tease out all the things that you would be absolutely frightened that people found out about you, then you understand what you've learned and how you're a different person because of it. Like that's the exciting, interesting stuff. So for those people who are afraid to share their 600,000 or $800 million moments, what is one message that you want to share to them to convince them that this is actually a tool to bring people closer and not push them away? I spent three days in a maximum security prison volunteering for an entrepreneurial program for prisoners who are about to be released. I had no interest in ever doing that. I had a lot of preconceived notions about what it was like to be in prison and to be a prisoner. And why would I go volunteer my time? A speaker convinced me of that by sharing her worst day of her life. Her name is Kat Hope, Catherine Hope. She has a program called Hustle 2.0. She's an amazing speaker. And she's, her opening line was really simple. What if you were only known for the rest of your life by the worst day of your life? Let me tell you a story. And she told all of us the worst day of her life. And it's like, I couldn't judge her because she, it takes away the judging because I said the worst thing that's ever happened to me. You know, people can think I'm a, a financial idiot because I got $600,000 in debt. You know what? You're not the first person to think that. And I'm the one who did it. So you can think whatever you want. I got to live with myself. 
And when Kat shared those stories about the worst day of her life, and she has a TED Talk on this, it shifted my perspective. She changed my heart. We can change a lot of people's heads. We can change a lot of people's minds. But when you can change someone's heart, the only way I've ever seen anybody do it is when you speak from one of the most, if not the most painful days of your life. That's why I would encourage anybody listening today to put it out there. That's great. I totally agree with that. And it's once you get those worst days off your chest, then nobody can hold it against you. And then it becomes part of your identity. I talk a lot about the difference between your expertise and your experience. And I think people hire you for your experience, which is rooted in all these things that went wrong. So that's a great transition to this final tip about how do you create impact? You just gave an example of somebody who you were an audience member and she did this final tip. So how could you help our listeners find those moments or create that impact? Is it always just about the worst day stories and you always just have to share the mess? For me, it is really showing up and being real and sharing the mess. We made the Inc. 5000 as one of the fastest growing companies the six times. And I used to get invited to come speak and talk about success. And I wouldn't do it because in my head, I knew that all they wanted to hear was kind of the, the finish line story of how we did this. And in fact, a university wanted me to come and talk. And I said, I will only come and talk and I'll come and talk for free if I can tell you the truth. Because I'm an alumni of this university and they wanted me to kind of be that poster child for more people to come be, be like this guy. They wanted the lipstick on the pig. They wanted to sort of like show the success. And there's nothing wrong with talking about success. Success is a wonderful thing. But there's so much more value gained in learning done by sharing the ups and downs of your hero's journey. And our journey before we got on the Inc. 5,000 six times was being $600,000 in debt, moving and changing and pivoting and letting people go and trying things and stumbling around and failing forward and all that stuff. That's what I wanted to talk to the kids about. And the dean goes, you talk about that? I said, <laughs> I will only talk about that because I'm doing this for free. I'm volunteering my time. So we are not beholden to one another. Right. I'm not on the call to try to find out what the audience wants and to make you look good. I'm here to sort of bring what I want. <laughs> right. And this is like the very first speech I gave. And he said, you would really do that. And I said, that's the only way I'll do it. And here's what he told me. Most of the world won't talk about that stuff. It would be a blessing and a gift for our students if you would come and share that. And I said, done. And what that taught me was in order for me to make the greatest amount of impact, I have to go where other people don't want to go. Public speaking is what is, it, I don't know if it's still the number one fear in the world or not, but at one point it was. And so we, people like you and I, we go places where other people don't want to go. We stand on an elevated stage, not because we think our egos are large or we're the smartest kids in the room, but one, so you can see us. Two, we have to broadcast our message. And three, it is a bit of a performance. But the reality becomes we only get that privilege because it is a privilege to be able to stand in front of an audience, I believe. And it's a privilege to serve them best when we have something worth saying. And to spit out stats and to spit out facts or half-truths or what have you versus, listen, you can fact-check all you want, but this was my story or this was Ryan's story and this is what we've experienced there may be something that lands with you because my only goal in being a servant leader from stage is I want to impact one person. <laughs> okay. I'm laughing. I'm smiling because that is something that my mom has said to me for the history of my life. Ryan, it only takes one person. This is well before I was a professional speaker. And that's something that I completely agree with. And we forget if you can impact that one person, you can impact everyone else. But I think sometimes we get caught up on impacting more which sort of works against us speaking directly to those individual people. Your mom's a wise woman because when we impact <laughs> one person, you know, it's the pebble in the ocean. How much of that ripple effect do we create? I always would say to people, I just want to leave a legacy. I want to make the world a better place than what I found it. And I don't really know how to do that some days, but if I just keep that intentionality out there, 
my favorite part about speaking sometimes is the after part where people come up and want to talk to you. And it's so fun. And I love it when they say, well, you know, that little thing that like literally for me is like kind of a throw off thing. Like, dude, that changed my life. I'm like, really? Right. Tell me why. Why? Cause I want to be able to duplicate that for others. But the best part of the job of a speaker is we're meeting our audience where they are for this moment in time, this 30 minutes, this 60 minutes, this 90 minutes. And after that, we have no idea what that ripple through the universe is going to create. And when I go back to where I was 14 months ago and I'm speaking from stage and someone's in tears and to know that I said something that touched someone and I didn't do it on purpose. I didn't do it with the intention, but my intention was to speak from the heart to honor someone else. I wasn't even really talking about me. It was my story about my interaction with someone else. And my gift to him was my time on stage. And to know that we can do that as speakers and as coaches and as authors and who we are in making the world a better place. To me, that's just, there is no better job. Yeah, that's the impact. At the end of the day, your mission, your why to impact and influence people in a positive direction. Now, one thing that might be fun to explore, this is something that I've been playing with and practicing with, is when you know you have a large group that you're speaking to, or maybe it's a company event, in order to help facilitate that line of people to shake hands afterwards, actually, I've asked for additional time and to let people know that if they want to stick around afterwards, And then we're all here in a little group and people are actually talking and they have those little things. So that's something I've done to duplicate that because you forget how important that moment is. Well, it's important for them. Again, it goes back to we're here for them. And certainly sometimes it's fun. I mean, I was in Mexico and I gave a speech in Mexico and some kid who bought my first book brought it up and wanted my autograph. I guess you, you know, you've you made it when your signature becomes an autograph. And this kid was just so excited to meet me and with my partner, Jen, and we're talking to this young man and he's just thrilled. You made a difference to that one person. And you have yeah. no idea how that went. And just like this podcast and your advice, I know has resonated with at least one person. So my mom would be stoked with it. We said this would be the best podcast ever. And technically, if we influence and affect one person, we will. Now, I want to end on maybe we can think of this as like a rapid fire because I want to respect everybody's time. But I do want to tap into some of the elements of the profession of speaking that you have found yourself in this new COVID era. Maybe you can give us the down and dirty of the pivots that have worked the best from a financial standpoint. We all have moments where we talk for free. This is an interesting spot to try to get the, the honorarium at the, the levels we're used to at the 10, 20 grand. And now that it just isn't there and we've all been affected. So from a professional speaking standpoint, what are some of the things that you've learned the most or have found the most valuable here as we've all been making this transition? I think it's a great question. It's a very timely question. For me, it's been the ability to impact as many people as possible, as quickly as possible. Again, my niche is business leaders, entrepreneurs, and CEOs. So when COVID hit, there were a lot of people who were in a state of panic, in a state of shock, And I've been through a recession. I went through the turning my company around and I knew that that was going to be out there. Plus I had a lot of free time because all my stages got canceled. So I started massively volunteering. That was something I found really valuable, but I was very targeted in who I volunteered with. Like I only wanted to talk to entrepreneurs or CEOs. That's all I wanted to talk to. And I would come in and I would volunteer like a chamber of commerce. So a lot of volunteer work in the beginning. A second thing that really helped move the needle from a financial perspective is I started offering one-on-one consultations for 30 minutes. And it was very tight and very timely. And I only asked three questions in those 30 minutes. The whole pitch was to help somebody get unstuck. So I spoke for free a lot. I gave 30 minutes of time. 
And what I found was I really did well on things like podcasts. And I found like I really did well on hosted events where I had a dialogue and a rapport like I had with you today, where there's good questions and you're the audience representation. And I found that was really valuable. What I found was a bit frustrating, in all honesty, was the expectations that that would last forever and that we would do these things forever. So now when I speak, I charge a fee, maybe not as much as I was charging a year ago, but it's still it's worth it to me to do it if it's the right audience. And if it's not the right audience, I just ask for more. Like, hey, you want me? This is what it's going to cost. And either they have the money or they don't. What I think is going to be really interesting is how this business is going to change. I have no crystal ball on that. For me, it goes back to how many lives can I improve? And the kind of the, the hidden byproduct of this, but I think it's kind of the, the preview is during these COVID times when I've had extra time, I finished my book, my second book, and that's going to hopefully be the message that came out of the mess. And tell me real quick about that book and then also where people can find you and latch on to the mess and message, which is your existence. The name of the book is called From Suck to Success, A Guide for Transformative Entrepreneurship. And it should be out by the end of the year. And it's just kind of my story and stories of others on how the mindset combined with the processes and the people are what we need to do to, you know, changing all of those often are what we you know, move our business forward and get unstuck. If anybody wants to reach out to me, I can be reached at Todd at ExtraordinaryAdvisors.com. Anyone who's heard me today, just please mention you heard me on Ryan's show. And I'm happy to give you 30 minutes of my time to talk about your speaking business, talk about coaching, talk about what it's like to write a book. And it's an opportunity for me by doing that, to you're giving me a gift. I'm helping you. And hopefully, I'll say one or two things that may improve your life just a little bit. Worst case scenario, we have a fun conversation. And um, it's an opportunity to still create a community in a space where a lot of us are still distanced. I like that because we are distanced, but it's all about community. And the best way to build community is to find common grounds and see how you see yourself in other people's stories. And the whole system is a closed loop until you open up and actually share the stuff that doesn't go right. And I think that in what goes wrong, that's how we really can connect because we all are humans. And in this experience, we're experiencing here in 2020, especially that we have a lot of commonality in the misery and challenges but that can only last so long from a crystal ball, however long COVID stays or COVID-20 or COVID-21 or COVID-29, however money come down the pipe, I think that we are a result of those experiences. And I think um, this is a time to revel in the mess and be more connected, authentic, heartfelt, not necessarily saying more, but the less you say, the more it could happen so that you can be a servant leader, so that you can put it all out there practice properly. And with that, you will find impact. And if you do that all correctly, you will be excited. So thanks again for your insight. We got a lot to chew on here, but this has been fun. I've enjoyed getting to know you. I'm looking forward to this being a dot and a series of dots that may connect a line sometime and maybe we'll share the virtual stage sometime. Who knows? There you go, Ryan. I look forward to it. All right. Thanks again. So check out Todd's new book, Todd's new 30-minute offer. Check out Todd, 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 Todd. This has been great. So I will let my mom know that my day was impacted positively to tap into your why because it just takes one. And worst case, I'm the one, so we're all good. I'll take it. Thank you so much. All right. And if you have not checked out Speaker Hub, this is a great opportunity to do so. Speakerhub.com, where you can house all of your speaker experience without having to build your own speaker website. You can get call for applications. You can get automation applications. You can do all kinds of crazy stuff. You can have a little tag at your email that you can do an HTML, you can do a one pager generated, all kinds of great things like that. But hey, at the end of the day, wherever you're at, 
now is the time to do more. So put yourself out there, speak from the heart, ATV, authenticity, transparency, and vulnerable. Thanks, Todd. Thanks, Ryan.